My name is Ray Park, you may know me as playing Darth Maul the Phantom Menace, Bone Wars, and also Solo at Star Wars Story. You're listening to Star Wars Stuff Podcast, the force is strong with you all. And remember, sit walk. Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who plays Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, letting you all know you are listening to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. Wishing everybody all the best. May the force be with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Star Wars the Podcast. My name is David. I'm Colin. And I'm the other Josh. And this is where you talk all things Star Wars, all things Star Wars Celebration Europe, and all things The Mandalorian Season 3, Chapter 23, The Spies. So, we're back from London. Colin is just off the plane, so... Yeah. <laughs> big... Big props to him for doing a podcast right now. He just stepped off. And of course, Josh, as always, is joining us uh, whenever he can. And yeah, I've been back since yesterday. Uh, the yeah. plane flight back was actually really, really nice. I got had a whole road to myself. I slept. I could lay down. Um, I slept like six separate times during that nine-hour flight to back to Dallas. And then from Dallas, it took 30 minutes of a flight to get back to Austin. And um, yeah. We're all back now at home. Um, celebration was awesome. Uh, Colin, what were your uh, highlights right quick? Oh, man. Okay. Um, honestly, the biggest worry for me is the panels. But we got into the... Uh, I got into the into the big main three panels. There were five major pl- panels where you had to win the lottery system in. Um Sometimes you have to be in the right place at the right time. That's the best way to say it. And I got into Ahsoka, and then we were in standby, standby for um, for uh, the Bad Batch, which I wasn't expecting them to show footage for season three, but that was cool. And don't worry, we'll eventually do a breakdown trailer of that because they showed it twice, and I made sure that I like, you know, caught everything. And there's a lot that a lot of people aren't talking about. So I'll definitely yeah. break that down. <laughs> I, yeah, I was able to, from the comfort of my own home back in the States, watch a little snippet of the trailer that got leaked. And I was floored that they even had, I mean, even if that's the only things that they have finished in the season, yeah. they were like, let's finish off these scenes for the trailer for celebration. The fact that they already have that much, they have that work set out. They know where it's going, obviously due for how much, prep yeah. was done in season two that it i was amazingly surprised at that yeah and i also want to compliment colin um on instagram he did a fantastic job at celebration breaking the news first on instagram we've been telling everyone follow us on instagram at star wars stuff podcast it's colin really that runs the show and um thanks man he, he really stepped his game up and was draw he was telling me i'm about to drop this thing right as they announced it because we were getting a little bit of leakage here and there, and a little bit of like inside info, and we're like, okay, well, we need to like really prepare. And Colin was on top of it. Thank you so much, Colin. You did wonderful, yeah. awesome. Yeah. I loved it. And also, before we get any further, we do want to thank our awesome patrons. On the purple tier, we have Chris Simpson, Kevin Leininger, Devin McCaffrey, Drew Peters, Sean Greathouse, and Zach Netzel. On the red tier, we have Fenrir five two six, Maya Morris, Texas Vader seventy six, and on the black tier. We actually got to meet a Black Tier patron in London. It was pretty cool. Uh, Maka, Tawatala, Nathan Shank, Evan Opaker, and Liam McCallion. Evan, we got to meet, and we talked about the meeting a little bit last night on the pre-show. And it was so cool. He flew down. He didn't 
he doesn't live in the UK, but he flew from where he lived and he went to celebration for a day. I think he spent the rest of the time in London with his girl. And uh, we met both of them, and it was so awesome to hand him stuff in person because we've sent him stuff in the mail, and he lives so far away. Some of the stuff yeah. hasn't reached him. Some of the stuff accidentally got sent to Korea, then got sent to him. He's not Korean. That's on the other side of the world from him. But, uh, yeah, it was so awesome to meet him. And I convinced him to go to Celebration next time it's held in the States, and uh, we would kind of show him around in the States. But, uh we got the shocking news that the next celebration in 2025 will be in Japan. So, uh, Josh, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I am so – I've only been to one celebration ever, and that was in 2022. Got to see me, the, me and oh, make okay. a bunch of friends in Anaheim. Um, so for me, you know, I'm used to huge breaks in my – whenever I go to celebration because the first one I went to, I was like, what, 20 years old. Like it was, it's been 20 years. Um, I'm so incredibly excited for all the fans of Star Wars on the eastern side of the world who all the trips that us Westerners are complaining about if they choose to go to Celebration, they yeah. do that every year. Like it, It's a double-bladed uh, sword, and they have an amazing opportunity to make a very, very good Celebration over there and celebrate the fans of Star Wars that are over there, especially with the emergence of visions kind of encompassing Eastern animation styles in how Star Wars is presented, uh, giving them that opportunity. Uh, but also the selfish side of me, we get either Revengers of the Sith or something, a new hope in like, anime. yeah. Is, uh, so we get I, that. <laughs> I know that's going to be a big celebration, especially for me because yeah, that's 50 the... of a new hope. That's it. 50 of a new hope. We'll um, likely get that in 27. The 20th anniversary of Revenge of the Sith is in 2025. That's, that's right. That's a big year um, for people of the Clone Wars and 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 fans of the prequels. And Revenge of the Sith is one of my favorite films of all time, like just in general. So I'm very, very excited for that. Um, but yeah, no, I think Celebration 2025 is going to be great. I'm excited for all the costumes. There's going to be a lot of great costumes yeah, out there, bro. Costumes, a lot of costumes and also the the difference in costume style. Like it's interesting to see like, you know, a costume maker from anywhere around the world. You see like similar techniques and similar processes no matter where you are. Um so I'm really interested to see how the that costumes. Did we ever have a cosplay contest in Europe? Um cuz I never saw a winner for that. I th I'm guessing it was the person that did the Nexu costume. No, I could so be mistaken. She won last year with the okay, so it wasn't her. We okay. took pics with her, and she apparently got noticed enough that she was backstage as a she had a crew pass, and she was doing that with celebration. Uh, yeah. So I don't think she would have been able to do the contest as that. Then I don't know. But yeah, no. I mean, also Marietta. Congrats to her for the Genosian last year, the next year, this year. You do amazing work. It was wonderful meeting you in 22. But I don't know, like, if anyone won it, I never saw anything. And if they didn't have a cosmic contest at all, that's extremely interesting to me. I think they did because I saw it on the schedule. Okay. I, I, I definitely saw it on the schedule. Um, One other highlight of Celebration was the, uh, was the Lucasfilm panel. Because that panel was two hours long. Like I um and and it flew by and it flew by. There's um just to let you all know, there's a lot 
just uh, unpack from that one picture that David just posted. Um, there's something that no one's really talking about, and I'm going to be posting that tomorrow morning uh, because it's it, it's kind of crazy uh, that they're pulling um, stuff from Legends and they're uh, slowly pulling stuff from, you know, that yeah. we haven't talked about and in, in, in the new canon in a while. But that whole panel was two hours long. We saw a trailer for Acolyte. We saw a trailer for Skeleton Crew. We saw um, a trailer for Andor Season 2. We saw so much. So, you guys so got much. a lot. And I, I was the horrible, like, lap views of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> people's phones. I was that one nerd in the crowd that didn't have my phone out and ready. I was the nerd that had the notepad out and I was writing notes. And that's, what you, that's what you should have. You shouldn't yeah. be recording it. But to those that did, uh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah. Colin took down some great notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Something else as well is like the security was very, very tight in the last day because the other Josh and I were in the Bad Batch room and they were kind of semi yelling at people saying you can only record one minute at a time. And it's because the look of the like the full out look of Thrawn got leaked like that whole look of Thrawn got leaked. That whole trailer got leaked. Mm-hmm. Um uh and it's it's been passed around so much that they can't stop it but we we know what he officially what he officially looked like outside of celebration um now because someone leaked it and they were trying to be on top of it but man security on that last day were like just so tight and just walking down every aisle and if someone even pulled out their phone to see what time it was they, they were trying to lighten their face like yeah. it, it was that intense and i was like dang at least we didn't have another Kenobi situation happen. Oh yeah, with yeah, because they correct me if I'm wrong. People who were at the Mandalorian panel got to see this episode during Celebration. Yes, we saw. Um, David didn't stay David for it. This band though. To do yeah, it. yeah. Okay. Yep. I still got mine. Uh, which that experience is great, and I love those type of screenings because you get to watch it in a big crowd of people, and that honestly was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, but I am, yeah, I enjoy the celebration. It's not on the top of my list. I think 2019 and 2017 will always be my favorite. I loved last year's. That was great. Uh, but just, um, Chicago was just when Star Wars was getting into that, where they were kind of re rebranding themselves with Disney plus and they were getting ready and, and we, and we saw the stuff for this first season of Mandalorian and no one really knew what to expect. And, and the hype for it was just so real. So, yeah. 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 Um, I, I did want to give before going to the breakdown, I, I want to give a shout out to all star Wars, um, star Wars exchange, Darth Deacon, star Wars, dude, all of those, um, fact people, um, because, uh, all of them weren't there, but but they were on top of the news like that. And that's real talent. So shout out to them for just being on top of everything the entire weekend. But uh, yeah. All right. Let's get into the news. Into All the right. News. Yeah. So Mandalorian season three, episode seven, chapter 23, the spies. Interestingly, plural, um, which we can get into when we talk about overall reviews at the end 
but this episode starts off with a reintroduction to Coruscant. Uh, and it's a very different Coruscant than we've seen for the entirety of this show. And for a long time, we see it almost seems like a, a, a rainy atmosphere Coruscant. Um, so we have a very uh, Seven or the Batman vibe with the rain and then the the neon lights is the only thing you can see flickering in the background uh and it really gives a kind of darker gritty feel i was very interested if we were going to see uh thir- level 1313 if that's where we were going with this or if this is trying to be an illusion to 1313 uh which of course is amazing absolutely amazing and we see an imperial character i, I forget her name i feel so sorry kane kane we oh, see her Elia. go yeah. back into a into an alley and see and meet an imperial probe droid uh a very bright eyed imperial probe droid with a red lens which follows along with how ig11 earlier in the season where we had the white eyes showing the good ig and then the red for the bad ig even though in season one he was always red even good or bad um i mean this kind of droid denotation of very bright colored eyes in this show uh I mean, it, it's almost holding a precedent. I kind of hope not, but I like how it distinguishes the droid in this dark alley shot. So it's not just a black outline of a probe droid. Uh, how did you guys like the reintroduction of the probe droid? How this kind of the episode opened, how it opened with, you know, spies jumping right into uh, Kane being a spy on Coruscant within the New Republic. I would like to um, point out the fact that I think we saw a probe droid every single day at Celebration because they had the droid builders area and someone was like having it just go through the show floor. And uh, and and when there's a big crowd of people, you you can't see the base of it. So it actually looked like it was like hovering and it was so cool to see. Uh, but yeah, no, um, I loved seeing the the probe droid come back. I don't think people really realize how large a probe droid actually is. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's what kind of threw people off because even when like we saw the eight minutes of footage before we saw the full thing, I remember people were like, well, that uh, that looks kind of big. And, and in, my, in my mind, it's like it's never changed the size, but you've never seen someone so close to it, I guess, on screen before. Yeah, it- almost only those that went to celebration and had that probe droid roaming around like no holy cow that thing yeah. is actually huge mm-hmm. yeah it's massive yeah the lucasfilm showcase uh colin and i got to see the first six minutes of this episode during the showcase okay. but it was after it was like five o'clock that day the panel was at 11 a.m so they said yeah. come back at five o'clock to watch the entire episode which is what colin and josh did but yeah, this was very cool, very cinematic, very Blade Runner esque, and it, it to, to me it, it makes sense fantasy wise to bring in the big old probe droid because it's like where would that thing be hiding? It's so huge, like you said, but it's on Coruscant, a, a New Republic uh, setting. Yeah. So yeah, no, Kane's trench coat, very Blade Runner. I uh, I saw the kind of the flaps, and I was like, is this another leather jacket? <laughs> <laughs> after like all the leather jacket hype we've been getting uh which big fan i wear leather jackets all the time but uh nice. no the trench coat was very blade runner very interesting uh and we saw the first physical appearance of moff gideon uh within a hologram uh talking to kane 
kind of double checking, checking up on her, how her progress is going. And he has slightly different armor. I noticed that almost right away. Um, I was looking at the Moff Gideon CRL just last week, looking at like the small differences in season one to two. And I saw this I was like, that's, that's almost a big departure in what we've seen. There's a lot of like a lot of changes that still is similar to design philosophy. Um, one question I, I, I really want to ask, because I know I've been kind of juggling the question in my mind all day is it really seems like a lot of the finale of season two has kind of just been stepped over Moff Gideon's back to being with the empire is no longer captured. We never got that, you know, discussion on screen. Grogu's almost art just almost immediately back with Din. Uh, it seemed like that kind of finale lost a little bit of something, but I don't know if that's just me. What do you, how, what do you guys think about Gideon being back in, in the Imperial fray so soon? Well, that's the big thing happening online is that a lot of people's reactions are that the way this episode ended and the way this episode was, we didn't deserve it because of the lead up to it wasn't as hype as it could have been. And people have been saying because of the small side mission episodes and they haven't been really focusing on the plot. Um, what happens at the end of this? It doesn't feel um, as much of a loss because there wasn't enough build up for it, which I think is a completely wrong statement. I think that this this whole show, it, I mean, this whole uh, season was to build the larger world of the Mandoverse. And we get that with the pirate. Um, his name's Vane, right? Yeah, Vane. Yep. Um, he leaves the whole pirate fight um, and a couple episodes back. And we know that he's going to be in Skeleton Crew. It's like, boom, there's your connection. You have the first episode of, uh, of this season and we see a bunch of purgle and it's like okay boom ahsoka ezra boom connection and then you've got this episode within the first six minutes they they end up you know saying thrawn it's like okay that's your second mention we're slowly getting to the bigger story and i think this you know season had to do that and i think people are just so used to a very plot driven story and it doesn't always need to be and i think Something else that a lot of people aren't talking about is that the new movie that Dave Filoni is working on isn't coming out until 2026. Um, or I thought it said six to seven years from now is when it's coming out, which would be like 30. Well, so it honestly makes so from the David, help me out because I'm 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 just trying yeah. To so really there was just it. a report like hours ago that we're gonna get a 2025 film, which is probably gonna be. The Daisy Ridley led film with okay. uh, the the directors Obage and Noe, and then the next year, which is surprising because that's an Avatar year, uh, we're gonna get the Filoni directed climactic event that we were kind of promised during that Investor Day call via mm -hmm. Kathleen Kennedy. So it looks like they're not gonna skip a year, and we've been talking about on a podcast forever now. We should have a Star Wars film every year, so maybe twenty twenty five is gonna be that jump off point where. They'll just start giving us a film every year. They have the resources. They have the people that want to make Star Wars. Just do it. It, it might be kind of like a beta type test to just kind of like feel out like, are we going to make enough money if we do release a film every year? 
I think they can. I think they could have been doing that, but it seems like they're they're going to test the waters here with that. I'm speaking of their beta testing. I'm very worried with the continued perception that Lucasfilm seems to have with Solo's performance. Solo comments came up pretty recently of them being like, "Oh, well, that didn't work because of this." And it's like, "No, that's that's not it. It is." Mm-hmm. Which you know, I I. I I love that story. I love those characters. And Don Glover recently had an interview where he was like, I'm just, we're in talks right now. I'm waiting for a story to be really good where I want to do it because I'm not going to do something that's just a paycheck, which to me is, is very wonderful news. I love for the solo story, the solo show, if it happens to be something important and something that felt like it needed to be made rather than just a check. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I really think they can make those money doing movies year after year. And these three films that they've discussed, if they are year after year, is going to be the first time in a long, almost actually ever, that we won't have direct trilogy films going every two years during yearly movie releases. Mm-hmm. So that, that jumping is going to be very interesting. Very, very interesting. To hop back to the episode, we have those references Colin was talking about, uh, you know, even though it may be 10 seconds, it sets up this world even more. We see Gideon in some sort of imperial cave system where the walls are entirely walled off as beautiful, pristine, clean walls. So we know he's we, he's hidden somewhere. He's in a bunker, a safe house. He's underground, uh, easily reinforcing that through visual cues. We have some new form of stormtrooper, which I thought were range troopers from Solo when I first saw them very similar kind of helmet profile uh what were your guys's first thoughts seeing another form of the imperial stormtrooper appearing i was like oh my gosh what is that (laughs) (laughs) are those are those uh mechanical or are those just suits that was my kind of question and looking at the helmet style it looks like this is the evolution to the stormtrooper that we got in the force awakens Evolution then also evolution almost went back in the visor cell to phase two clone troopers. It had right, that right. Zenier T reappear. Right. A nice little mix there. And of course we're gonna get hot toys and action figures. So oh, yeah. hopefully we do see a lot of these guys. Can we talk about something super funny though? I uh I got some new Black Series figures, and one of them that I got on that Thursday, right before like we went in to see the full episode, was a Pause Vizsla Black Series action figure. <laughs> yep. And I watched it all the way through. And then I was like, man, this is this is just like the Lego. Uh, so, yes, because as as I was building it, we were watching the episode <laughs> like of where it gets blown up. And I was like, it yeah. happened again. <laughs> I I miss that shit, man. so much. Yeah, so incredibly much. I feel like that ship was integral to the Mandalorian that I really just loved, loved, loved. But yeah, no, that was we got the racial doors from Phantom Menace. Uh, yeah, back. That was interesting. Um, different. We didn't see their generators. So we don't know if it has the same generator style, but we had those doors, lines and lines of them. I mean, if we have Mandalorians trying to storm this base in the next episode or next season whenever it comes it looks like every door they fight their way through there's two more imperial whatever they are at this point we know they're mandalorian 
super commandos, whatever you want to say, Mandalorian stormtroopers. Uh, two of them at every door opening. Incredibly daunting to try and fight your way through. But yeah, we didn't know that they were Mandalorian stormtroopers at the time. Yeah. Yet. Did you think that? I saw them, and I was I was too focused on the clone visor. I was yeah. like, which in hindsight, clone visors are based on Mandalorians with the center T. Um, but no, I was like, why on earth does he have a special stormtrooper yeah. unit that has clone visors on? Them? I was too distracted yeah. on that to even try and think about why they have mysterious things on their backs. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Gee. And. Uh, we have an Imperial meeting that has some amazing implications for the rise of the First Order, yeah. um, especially people's, the public internet concern when the First Order first started appearing. Like, how did this massive power amass with all these obvious resources for making ships and circular base and all these things? How did this just appear out of nowhere? And we see that it's not nowhere. Uh, these Imperial warlords are fighting as a unit uh and they're they're very cognizant of we can't we have to be cautious as it says there no sign of our true strength or else the new republic's going to realize we are working together um and i was i was a huge fan of the costumes of each of these imperial members because each of them although they're imperial have their own flair we have some with imperial pins on the center some with sashes moff gideon with armor and a cape uh, so although we know they're all working together as some hive of Imperials, there's still a very visible divide between all of them across the board. Yeah. And we got the appearance of a character from Legends coming back. Uh, Colin or David, either of you guys take, take away what this Imperial meeting was, the characters, because there's a lot to digest here. Yeah. Um, so the... So the shot that David has on right now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's Thrawn's right-hand man, correct? Yep. Okay, cool. Okay, so I thought that was a great time. Which is Admiral Pe- uh, Peleon? Peleon. Peleon, Peleon yeah. I think. That's how you say it. Yep, uh, and then you had General Hux's dad, uh, which which we knew that he had a very, um, a very strong start. Um, of the first order uh and not that many people know but the whole reason that the that the battle of jakku happened was so that a, a, that a, that they were trying to have a meeting like what they're having now but in person because they were trying to regroup and then the new republic found out and then i went from there so now you have scattered uh warlords across the galaxy and and they're in hiding and they're and they're waiting for Thrawn to make his you know his full out appearance which sounds like we'll get that in Ahsoka yeah uh which is super super exciting and um Lars Mickelson is back uh as Thrawn in live action I'm telling you um from the footage that that we saw it was fantastic and when he entered the room by the way, that was amazing. That was probably the like the biggest crowd pleaser that I've seen um, in a long time. And everyone just jumped out of their chairs, just like cheering and everything. I think we all kind of figured it was going to be him. But still, yeah, that was awesome. But um, but yeah, I enjoyed the meeting. 
I thought that uh, I thought I I think Moff Gideon just like just kind of owns every room that he walks in, like because of he's it doesn't sound like he's in charge, but he just acts like he's in charge. Oh, and Giancarlo Esposito is I mean as an actor, any scene that he's in, he completely steals. Absolutely yes. love everything that he does, and he's he's such a kind guy off screen and just a, a wonderful person yeah he definitely takes control of the room and he takes control of this room uh we see moff gideon almost become a a foil to great admiral thrawn kind of getting tired of i mean if this has been going the whole time of the imperial war from a new hope to now it's been what, almost 10 years of probably Pelion saying oh grand admiral thrawn's gonna return he's gonna be back uh, and Gideon's finally done with it. And even if it's just been these five years of the remnants, we see him kind of take over and say, you know what? I'm going to be what Grand Admiral Thrawn should be. I'm going to do the hard moves, take out the Mandalorians, trying to take it, kind of reclaim, reclaim their home planet and why that's a bad thing. I need interceptors, bombers. I need three Praetorian guards, uh, name dropped from characters from the sequels. We kind of see him step into that role as the Grand Admiral Thrawn surrogate. Yeah. Do you think we're going to have a Gideon versus Thrawn eventually? So I I'm really curious of what's going to happen in this last episode. I don't think any of us know what's really going to happen. All of the footage that we've seen from the trailers has already happened. Um so Thrawn, I'm guessing Thrawn will make some type of appearance in this last episode. It just it makes sense. Um, because I don't think they would fully reveal like Thrawn and the actor and everything and the trailer before, you know, Ahsoka comes out. So like, I mean, it, 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 it just makes sense for Thrawn to make some type of cameo in the last episode of this season, because then that's going to be like, okay, this is the Thanos of the Mandalorian verse. Like it, it just makes sense to me. Yeah, no, I personally, I'm kind of hoping we don't see Thrawn. I I really like the Mandalorian when it's very inner focused on Din Djarin, the season one and two. That's I mean, season one especially. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that they keep Thrawn to being an Ahsoka thing, keep kind of the shows, have them be interconnected a little bit, but still let them have their own room to breathe and you know not feel so interconnected that I feel lost if I try and jump around. So I'm kind of hoping we don't see Thrawn, but that's just me. Have you guys heard of the talk that Pedro Pascal might be leaving the show? And that's why we're getting more Katie Sackhoff and more kind of less emphasis on Din Djarin? Well, there were those rumors back when season two came out yeah. by Grace, whatever the heck her name is, which she's like, we're only getting four episodes of Din Djarin because Pedro Pascal has all these issues with keeping the helmet on. <laughs> um, which obviously that turned out to be very much not true. Um, I mean, I, I personally can't see Pedro leaving the show. I think he incredibly enjoys it, at least from what we can see other yeah, actors, mm-hmm. but his relationship with Filoni and Favreau and his understanding of the character and Grogu, I think he truly does enjoy it. I think the issue is less of Pedro Pascal. And I think it is more, they don't know what to do with Din Djarin as a character to progress this huge story, story when you yeah. also have Bo-Katan. 
because we all thought Din was basically going to play the role Bokatan's now playing. Yeah. And, you know, if, if I was writing this story myself, you know, I season three would be entirely different. But at the end of the day, season four or five, Din would be playing the role Bo is now. And it'd be very odd having Bo be in the show if Din's kind of just doing what feels very Bo-ish. Um, so I think we're seeing almost a quote-unquote rewrite or a redirect of Din from what we expected. But I, I personally don't see Pedro Pascal leaving the show. I mean, fair enough. They also can keep using his voice like in, oh, yeah. in the helmet like he, he can just go to a recording studio he really doesn't need to show up anymore unless they need a scene where he takes off his helmet if they do i'm i'm just gonna tell you real quick for some reason if they do kill him off in this final episode do you know how like weird this show would be going forward exceptionally yes so then, I, the mandalorian I, namesake would be more grogu in my opinion right than... and for canon purposes as well, it which I think we've talked about this a couple of times. If you go to Galaxy's Edge, you do see his helmet up on the wall. You do see Grogu's chainmail, and and you see Mandel's rifle up there. So at some point, Doc Ondar does get it, and it's like okay, but when does that happen? Uh, and to be fair, that is a living thing. I mean, like it yeah. could always change. I mean, Mando's rifle was. If my recollection serves, blown up with the razor crest. Correct. That's at Doc Ondar's. So, no. Yeah, very interesting what they could be doing with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but we return to Navarro after the credits were only gives us the name of the spy for the episode. Uh, we see them rebuilding. We see bricks being placed in the in the floor. We see white protocol droids. We see people just kind of conglomerating back to the city that was ransacked by pirates not too recently as once again a shadow rises from the bottom of the screen up to engulf these citizens and once more grief cargo has to go outside to address an imperial threat but it's not it's mandalorians and we see confirmation of the red painted mythosaur skull on the bottom of the imperial light cruiser that we noticed not just but last week which was amazing to see. It's a, I mean, it's a sizable fleet. I love the idea that these Mandalorians were like, "Hey, we're going to Navarro. Let's pass directly over the city. Let's make sure they know that we are here." Yeah, that. Oh man, I am semi worried about the fleet. I, I, I know we're jumping ahead, but I'm, I'm semi worried about it. But I love the paint job. I love the paint job that they did underneath the actual cruiser. And my wife just watched the episode for the first time. And she was like, how long do you think it took them? Like, like, could oh, you imagine them just having like a bunch of like, like actual ropes and like chairs and them just kind of like, just. Well, these are jetpacks, obviously. Right? Well, yeah, I know, but I was just saying, <laughs> yeah. joke, but yeah. Do you think they like flip the ship upside down and painted it? <laughs> That'd be funny. No, I, I, I wonder if they painted the model like that, or if that was all done in post. I'm, I'm trying to. Get, I have a contact over at ILM that uh, I haven't talked to in a long time, and trying to reach back out to him and see uh, how he's doing, and see if that was done physically. I'll let you guys know if we get an answer on that. But uh, yeah, I would figure they repurposed or reprogrammed some of the Imperial droids on that ship, and just oh, and had, had them, them spray paint it like almost like 3D printer style, just like a Boba Fett's. 
paint booth in the back of Slave One. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lots of Fang Fighters. You know the light cruiser. Uh, I don't know if we've seen Fang Fighters do the wings rotate around the cockpit thing in Mandalorian that we've seen them do many a time in Clone Wars. Um, which I kind of like personally. It makes them feel much more physical. The motions feel more real. Um, easier to translate to the audience. But as they all land, we see Axe Wobes in a new helmet and a bunch more Night Owl Mandalorians come to greet the armorers uh, Child of the Watch sect. I mean, you can hear a pen drop. Yeah. So how is Axe Wolves' helmet different? It's Book of Bo- It's the Book of Boba Fett uh, helmet mold instead of the, I think, let me see Axe Wolves season. Let me see if I can describe it really well. Because I, I realized in season two, in the episode of the Eras, he had that halo around his head. Yep, so job. the paint job is all the same. Um, in season two, he had a very uh, Boba Fett Empire Strikes Back, but his mandibles were kind of brought in. Uh, and this one, it is just as straight the you know Boba Fett Return of the Jedi bust cast helmet mm. um, with the Book of Boba Fett style of the visor and the Boba's helmet without the dent, basically. So interesting. Yeah, he got a lot of new stuff there. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's the clash of blue versus all the colors of the rainbow, and you have them all take off their helmet, and you can see Boba be like, ah. I wish they waited to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the little bit that these people know of each other, they hate. And uh, they're all brought aside by the armor. The armor stops. Probably would have been an inevitable, huge clash between these two factions. Yeah. All right. Personality test. If you guys were one faction of Mandalorians, would we be the blue or would you be the you can do whatever the heck you want with your armor and have some imperial stuff on you? Oh, okay. Would you like to remove your helmet or a child of the way? I think I would like to remove my helmet. <laughs> <laughs> do you not want to walk away from everyone every time that you want to eat? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I think I would like to have that freedom just to remove, be able to remove the helmet, just walk around and. Yeah, be a mercenary. I not have to be in some type of strict religion. Yeah, that, that I think the other th- thing, though, is when you don't, when you take the option of of taking your helmet off in in front of someone, that also adds to to the level of intimidation. Because think about it: if Mando walked in that first episode that we saw him in season one. And he walked into that pub and he beat the crap out of everyone. And then afterwards, he took off the helmet. That to me would have felt like how in the Halo series of where Master Chief takes off his helmet. When John Halo removed his yeah, helmet. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Um, I love the level that they went on. I mean, I don't know if I would do it, but I think that the intimidation level is very high. Um, of not taking off your helmet and when you take the helmet off it's like oh okay like it's just a person uh under there but i think that's why people also loved boba fett because that added to 
the mystery of the character. Yeah. And, uh, and you had him very, like, he was very menacing walking around and he didn't even play that big part of the movie. So I'm going to say I would be, I would, I would be a child of the watch. Okay. I, I, if I could, I would be, I would be, I would be, you know, in the blue, remove my helmet, be able to, you know, hang out with people and the family and eat and whatever you have. But I would, I would prefer being able to color my armor however I want, rather than this is the shades of blue we have allowed. That's what you can do. Maybe black and purple. Um, but yeah, so we're, we've done a lot of recording for 13 minutes of the episode, so I'm going to try and speed up here. Uh, we jump ahead to Grief Karga coming up to Din, saying, welcome, here's a, a bottle of probably some form of whiskey or rum or dark liquor. Uh, saying it's all the way from Coruscant as a welcome gift, and then bringing Din to see the new form of IG-11, white eyes and all, which is now a mech. He is now a different mode of transportation for Grogu. So Grogu now can say yes and no to whatever he wants. He has little buttons to say yes and no, and that is the extent, it seems, of uh, Grogu's talking capabilities while in the mech. What did you guys think of seeing this repurposing of IG-11? Because the first time I, I saw IG come out, I was like, we never saw Din get the new memory thing to fix yep. IG. So what's yep. what's all this about? And then I saw, you know, Babu Frick creature driving it. And I was like, okay. And I connected the dots really late. And then Grief being the grandpa getting the kid dangerous toys is like, oh, let's see if he fits or not. I remember the reaction from the audience and they were all laughing and I know it was for com for comedic purposes. Um, how do we feel about the yes and no button that they installed in there? Cause I know that's going to be a meme going forward for a long time. Oh, it's such going to be a meme. I, I think yeah. it was, I think it was, it was good in insert of humor that is always going to be funny. It's, it, it's a, it's a kid with their first words, applying those first words to everything that they can use them for. Uh, and I mean, it's not, that's all it's relying on. It's relying on a universal factor. And so I think that's always going to be something funny. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Uh, there was a leak that came out a long time ago that we would get Yoda in a mech type suit type thing. And it looks like it was accurate. Um, Going from IG-11 naming convention to IG-12. Yep, IG essentially lobotomized IG-11 <laughs> so, and just turned him into uh, just a drone, really. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was cool to see that Grogu can now communicate with the yes and no buttons. Just hit those. And then he has the joysticks to control the arms. And that part of it, it, it doesn't seem technically accurate, but it's, it's kind of the fantasy element of it. Yeah. Now he has like a suit. Now he can participate in full bodied activities and and kind of hold his own in a way yep he can also steal fruit and food yeah. <laughs> whenever he so pleases making din lose money very very fast yeah uh so we we have a fun little vignette of him taking food from a vendor and then paying for it taking more food from a vendor than paying and for then it. he picks up a meluron yep from star wars rebels yep so it was a fun little vignette, and of course, Grogu's just spamming yes, yes, yes. He's so incredibly pleased 
uh, that he can walk around with his dad now, which is just it's it's adorable. I yeah. I. He kept pressing yes. I was like, "Am I going to get annoyed at this?" And almost like answering myself was like, "No, it's cute. I don't think I will." Yeah, I think they just wanted to have him get it out of his system, like first thing. And I think they did that because then, if you watch throughout the episode, like it's not as bad as it was. But oh yeah, um, and I think this is another great way to have, um, to have I ig12 i was gonna say ig11 but now it's ig12 yep. uh to to have him around as well because i kind of felt like he was missed during the during the uh second season so it's awesome yep. to have him back it's a nice a connection yeah and then quick jump we have uh the feast that the armor promised the new party mandalorians coming in of course all of the helmeted Mandalorians just kind of sitting around watching them eat because they can't remove their helmets to eat with them for the feast. Um, and but can't they just simply like do the thing where they lift up the chin a little bit and stick it in? Looked I, mean, like, I mean, it looked like they had they were cooking the beasts that attacked yeah. uh, <laughs> everyone in season one. The giant the Yeah. So you know, I don't know how easy it is to get a. Uh, fouling leg up under your helmet to not oh, geez, man. chomp down. <laughs> in there. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to eat those things during rent fair, and you're talking about doing that with a helmet on? Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, so we see Bo give a rousing speech trying to get a you know, talking about how they take back Mandalore, having a search party go down, isolate a perimeter at the Great Forge, and she asks for volunteers. First one's Din, then we get Casca, uh, we get Axe, uh, we get Paz Vizsla uh, volunteering himself. And it almost kind of rouses and it just snowballs down from there. We see tons of Mandalorians from both sides come together in an agreement of just trying to take back Mandalore. So even if these groups even now have stark differences in how they see each other, there's one thing they can agree on. It's the importance of their heritage and the importance yeah. of getting it back. Yeah. So we we I mean we have the the epic shot of Mandalorians re-entering space into the atmosphere of Mandalore, Fang fighters and the light cruiser, the Gazantes. I w- I was heavily reminded of Clone Wars season seven with this shot with the even though it didn't have the Venator coming overhead with all the ships, it was still you know seeing ships above this kind of greenish gray atmosphere was really refreshing to see once again. How did you guys think this was going to play out? Uh, Bo's plan of you know getting a party down. How do you see this rep- the rest of the episode plan- uh, panning out? Because there was still a lot to go at this point. I didn't know what to expect, honestly. The way that it, you know, where they where they end up landing on the planet and they find other Mandalorians. I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on yeah. because Din was there before and they didn't encounter. But then again, you have the title of of yep. this episode Despise. called "The Spies," so maybe what that could you mean. know, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, every single time a ship goes through the storm clouds of Mandalore and the music just cuts, I get so tense. I'm expecting some lightning strike to take the ship out. I'm expecting Same something here. horrible to happen. Uh, which absolute props to the sound team for making us the audience just on edge as these people are trying to go through the storm to either escape Mandalore or get to the surface of Mandalore. 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I, it looks so good. The the lights on the ship and how far they, they almost illuminate nothing at all. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Very well done. Uh, the dropship has Axe and Casca, and we also see the return of standard Death Watch painted armor. Uh, yeah. When we see Din kind of having a longing look at that person, um, I mean, we even have someone with the classic purple visor, uh, with the purple around the visor, uh, and the Death Watch logo, the Death Watch uh, Shriekhawk making a mm-hmm. return. That was, to me, that's a continuation of Din being almost a better surrogate between these two uh, than Bo being having, you know, a very distinct connection between being rescued by almost seemingly to be Bo's sect with the Death Watch logo and everything else. And then growing up as a child of the way. Very, very interesting. Amazing visual storytelling with not a single word telling us what's what's going through his mind. We can almost feel it in ourselves just as much. I think one prediction in my mind that I thought was going to happen when they're like, hey, we are going back to the planet in this episode was hope, well, hoping to see the mythosaur again. That yeah. was kind of a pipe dream of mine. I don't know if we will. If we end up seeing it, in in the last episode and maybe that's their inspiration to be like no we can't leave din din jarn behind like i think that's going to be the cliffhanger at the end of the season is the second rise of the mythosaur or the rise of the mythosaur coming back yeah uh, personally david what do you think about the mythosaur being in the season at all or where do you think it could come back in i kind of feel like sometimes we make like the cliched predictions like you said maybe the mythosaur is like a cliffhanger i'm thinking maybe that the mythosaur might be something that kind of gives inspiration in a very bleak moment in the battle with the empire okay and it kind of gathers everyone and and raises just gives them that extra little boost of energy to kind of either stalemate or win whatever battle is going to take place feels like there's going to be a big battle a climactic type of battle i would hate to not to get something to where it was like a cliffhanger and we got to wait another two years i mean for jeff for season four that that would be hard but i mean i'm thinking this next episode is going to be essentially a part two to this episode so okay yeah what stops the pull i mean that's that's an amazing idea the only concern i have is i don't want it to feel like the book of boba fett with the rancor i don't want someone to magically be able to write it immediately i mean to be fair Think about it, having Din be the writer of the Mythosaur, you know, after he learned how to ride the Blurks with Kuil, seeing how Kuil had such an important effect on him, Kuil immediately saying, you know, your kind wrote the great Mythosaur. Uh, having Din be the writer of the Mythosaur and having Bo be the lead, that'd be incredibly cool, I think, personally. But that's also very pipe dreamish. And logically, I think when you think about it, maybe it's Grogu writing the mythosaur because be. grogu can like force speak to creatures so yeah. that would make a lot of sense yeah I but if they were writing it though i mean imagine bo katan's character thinking this guy had the dark saber now he's <laughs> got a mythosaur <laughs> now like, for what's next yeah. yeah uh super weird thing appears on the horizon starts coming towards them uh and we learn that it is three mandalorians in extremely tattered armor 
broken down uh, enough ragged cloths to cover a dorm bed each. <laughs> and they say they bear the symbol of the Night Owls. And they are a group of three lone Mandalorians who survived the purge and have survived on land ever since. Yeah. Frankly, I don't trust these guys farther than I could throw them, which isn't very far because they probably weigh a lot because Beskar. Um, what are I mean? What, what was your guys' initial thoughts seeing not only a skiff ship, however you want to call it, roaming around on these the glass and glassed wasteland that is Mandalore, but seeing? Three Mandalorians that apparently have survived on the planet since the purge. It felt very cinematic, and I think it's not just those three Mandalorians in the ship. I think there was more on it. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I remember them, like, kind of pulling up, and I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. And then they kind of used that as like an actual like you know the, their way of doing a type of boat like in Star Wars where it's not on water and, and, and it's not like a, um, some type of scarf speeder or anything. It's, it, it's just, you know, it's just there on, on, uh, on, on the glass of what's on left on the planet. Taking the wind. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I love that concept. I thought that was really cool. And seeing them, you know, as not really, you know, pirates or anything, which I was really hoping that they weren't going to be like that, but they like, you know, are just surviving. I think I think that's awesome to see that there are Mandalorians that survived the purge. Yeah, and Mandalorian that, pirates is a great way to put it. They felt so piratey, especially in how they're like to the forge. It felt yeah. like I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean again. <laughs> yeah, that also showed uh, us that the that the people of of Mandalore are hard to break, and they are um a very strong people and the fact that there were survivors honestly did not surprise me yeah. i was surprised when we didn't see any in that and like in the second episode of when we of the season of when din actually comes to the planet for the first time but yeah yeah it did surprise me a little bit because i thought mandalore was totally just uninhabitable uh, as far as like everyone's thinking and everyone left but feels like these guys maybe kind of stay thinking that they were making like a sacrifice, sacrificing their lives, and then they didn't die. And then they were like, well, maybe there's a religious aspect to that, possibly. Yeah. Uh, but of to course, find something else to fight for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just kind of, it, and it reminds me of stuff in history, too, where people stayed, even though they knew that they were probably not going to make it. And yeah. it's all kind of coming together with Bo-Katan returning, and their statement, we, we, we knew you would return and and yeah. not forsake us, and that that was, yeah, that was uh, pretty cool to see. Absolutely, um, we get more details on the purge. We see Bogatan say that she did try and surrender. We get more details as to how the dark went to Moff Gideon. We get a little more details of the second purge, how she attempted to surrender, and it was all for naught. Moff Gideon lied. Stole a dark saber, bombed every surface twice over, turned it to glass, um, and we got a scene that I think we should have gotten when Din gave Bo the dark saber to kind of make that moment feel more important rather than just our heroine and hero in broad daylight in a f- plain field. Uh, 
we learned why it didn't follow Bo. And we kind of got a, a difference to Bo seeing that there are people who follow her not because she wields the Darksaber, not because her family led Mandalore, but because of her character, because of how she holds herself, her code of honor, all of those things that she really has profusely shown to doubt herself in over the years and over all the different shows Bo's been in. Yeah, the, the character of Bo-Katan is, I think as we go along in live action, people are learning that, wow, this is a true leader and she's had this very tragic past. If you watch the animation, you know what happened in the past. And that she really is Darksaber, Mythosaur, not the kind of unquestioned leader person that should be leading. She has honor. She, um, I mean, she's still trying to have the people of Mandalore stand for something and yeah. be with her people. And I think... All the choices they've made with Bo-Katan have been really great. Uh, I think going into the season, we thought maybe she was going to be the nemesis to Din. But I think the choices that they're making now are the most appropriate. And it, for me, it's working. Totally working. Yeah, Agreed. I think the choices they're making for Bo are really well done. I, I do think that Bo is kind of, as a character, quote-unquote, hijacking the show from being a Din-focused show, which I really loved it being a Din-focused show. But also the Din Djarin we have now is not the Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett Din Djarin we had in season one. It's mm -hmm. a very different character. And of course, character dynamics change. So I think the way they're going about it is well done for the characters they have and established well enough to have this character who thinks her leadership has been earned by relics rather than what she's done herself. Right. Rather than her actual character. Yeah. Yeah. And then confirming that it's her character that he, no one that he's lived with for his entire life cares about the glowing dark saber. They don't care about that. So they don't care about that stick. He didn't care about it. It wasn't important right. to him. And, but it's important to her. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And as Din says, it, it means absolutely nothing, but they're following her. All of them are following Bo because what she's showing them. Right, and right. I think that that was incredibly important for Bo to hear. And I do wish that we got it earlier. So I think it would have made the handoff of the Darksaber more important, felt more important at the time. I felt it would have given a bit more flesh to the earlier parts of this season, which in my opinion felt very much like moving chess. I've said this before, moving chess pieces to the final goal, but they don't kind of care how they go about there. Um, but I digress. We we get that amazing moment. We see all these wounded Mandalorians on this skiff. I mean, obviously they haven't had great medical capabilities skimming around right. on the surface of Mandalore for year after year after year. And the Mandalorian, the armor very easily gets convinced to return to the fleet and not see the great forge that she so loved and talked about on end earlier in the series. What are your thoughts on that, Dave? Is that a little, little questionable? Yeah, that does feel like something. Very convenient for her to leave uh, what uh, she could have possibly known and maybe possibly related to the title of this particular episode and get out of there because it was going to be a huge massacre slash firefight with the uh, the new uh, Beskar cladded troopers. So, yeah, she's looking pretty sus right now. I Yeah, armor 
absolutely. I mean, if she turns out to be Rook cast, someone we've seen before, Pop if she turns here. out to be a different character, because the only horned Mandalorian helmet we also know of is worn by spoilers, Moff Gideon later in the yeah. episode. Um, I mean, as someone who has worked on the armor costume and seen a lot of her stuff and scoured over it, uh, I like the design of the character. I like the idea of the character. Uh, but I think it worked very well for her to be the spy, the person working from the inside uh, and as a connection to the Empire. So so here's my question. Um, do we remember... So in the Clone Wars... And uh, and 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 then also in the sons of um, the son of the son of Dathomir, okay. um, there was the girl. Uh, th- there, there was the girl Mandalorian that served with Gar Saxon, right? Yep, that's um, uh, Rook Cass. Okay, do we yep. know what happened to her? No, we do not. That's people have been saying that it might be Rook Cass okay. ever since season one. Okay. Uh, because the last time we saw her was the Siege of Mandalore when she was told to go. Yeah. We did leave. Yep. Um, and uh, Rick Cass was also, she was a character in back in Legends. And she was also a core inspiration for the character of Sabine Wren back when she was first created. Or at least the, can- the Legends incarnation of Rook Cast. So as for what comes of Rook in the future is interesting if it even is rook in the future but the armor's disappearance and vacancy of the search party was definitely very surprising and then we got what i thought was going to be the mythosaur rising you know the tectonic plates shifting of rock and crystalline glass uh oh wait before that happened sorry quick back slide we see axe and paz playing some form of a chess or board game and argue over the rules. And instead of learn about what each other's rules are, Paz is like, Oh, you're going to have to fight me for it. If I can move my chess piece over two to the left, you're going to have to fight me with the vibro blades. Yeah. I, um, I thought this was interesting. Uh, and I loved how they put, um, I love how they put Axe versus, um, versus Vizsla. I think it's interesting that Bo and uh and Vizsla didn't really have that much to say. Um, no. Yeah, nice. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, uh I mean it felt very much like like a pool. Whenever you play pool with someone, everyone has different rules on like, you know, if you don't hit a ball is that just, you know, do you play where it lies or is that a ball in hand or You've all the different rules of pool where, you know, if you scratch, where does it go? Is it ball in hand? Does it stay within the kitchen? Uh, so kind of got a little bit of that feeling of, you know, a very popular game with a lot of people where homebrew rules uh, can often be a clashing point. And then little baby Grogu, now able to stick his arms out, is the only person on the entire ship willing to say, no, stop fighting. Yeah. Stop warring. It's it was almost a connection of stop warring between these two factions. You know, it's the first time that Grogu really can I mean, yes, he has the force, but can physically stand in and as a child, a curious inv- inviting child who doesn't want people to fight, say no. Be the peacekeeper that 
Luke taught him to be. Really like that. Really like that character development in Grogu. Yeah. Yeah, that moment and then Bo informing Din that no, we, we can't interfere. Grogu's the only one that could have stopped this and it happened. And yep. it shows kind of the power. Um and just him using the suit for this purpose. I, I thought it was pretty cool to see that. Yeah. And then Bo's, you taught your apprentice well. The dad's like, oh, I didn't teach him that. I would have let them fight to the death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care what happened yeah. to those two. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the armor makes it through the storm clouds. Nail-bitingly so. The music was so dead during this. I almost for sure thought that her full of wounded soldiers was going to get struck by lightning. Um, mm. And then, of course, then we get back to where we were discussing we have a giant like godzilla creature. rise up <laughs> yeah. yeah a giant creature rise up and has a giant spike tail and yes that definitely reminded me of a dinosaur yeah for sure because i saw that i was like all right okay just randy orton rko'd that ship out of yeah. nowhere and <laughs> there were a lot more mandalorians on the ship than i thought there were because of because of at first it looked like a clown car because there were so many Mandalorians just coming like off the ship. I was like, Yeah, how many were on there? Dang. There was the full table yeah. of people eating. And then almost immediately after that, where the table was was now almost completely full of bodies that needed to be taken up by the armor. And then it was full of people watching them play chess. And then now it was full of people leaving. It, it yeah. Clown well, I mean were some of them down below deck or something? I mean, that... all those scenes happened above on yeah. top deck, on the poop deck. So there were a lot of people on that ship. There were. A lot. So we see a couple Mandalorians die in this, but a lot of them were able to escape, and they decide to go down below. Uh, it's the safest place from this giant creature that originated from down below. But obviously, being on the surface isn't going to keep them alive for long. And as they go down, almost immediately they find the Great Forge. To the Forge! Yep, in ruins, in disarray. Uh, we see Axe, you know, again. Just like, like the Hobbit. They were there. <laughs> and we hear jetpacks. I first heard this and I, I didn't know what to think. I didn't think about Imperials. I was like, jetpacks? Is it like the rest of everyone being here? But no, we get the answer to our Beskar, Beskar alloy fragments from yeah. earlier in the season. We get an answer to why Moff Gideon was so against having uh, Mandalorians take back their home planet. We see a possible connection to the Armorer's Leave by immediately getting ambushed in the Great Forge, the heart of the Mandalorian civilization. And we see uh, Imperial Super Commandos come back. Yeah. There was a lot that happened in this episode. And again, I know there's a lot of um, talk about how um, how the show didn't really deserve to lead up to this because the show wasn't really plot-driven. I mean, of this season anyway. And again, everything that had, that has had, had that has had, man, I can't talk. That has had happened. I think that's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, throughout this entire season has led to this. There's certain missions. There are certain, you know, small stories to the side that had to happen to lead up to this. 
and um, we'll talk more uh, about uh, about Paz Vizla's um, fate um, uh, because there's the episode of where we see Den go with him and save his son, and that you know that makes us kind of relate to him more, like him more. And then it gets to this point. If we didn't have that episode, then, then it has had so much this season. Yes. He has had a lot, but yeah, no, I personally, I think even if we've had story beats that have led to making this, I think it's very much another case of the pacing didn't work for it to do so. I mean, this episode was so jam packed of everything. I mean, I could have had one episode of Mandalorian before this, and I feel like we could have gotten to the same place if it was just as jam-packed from the past six episodes this season that we've gotten. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I I don't want to be a broken record, but I think how they, they had an ending in mind, but I don't think how they chose to go about reaching that ending worked, and I think they're getting a very public outcry in how they chose to get to this ending. But how they got there aside right now it's really kicking on all cylinders and it's kicking very well on all cylinders we get axe wolves escaping uh through a small hole at the top of the purge or at the top of the forge sorry we see din turn to grogu keep up with me because now grogu can't fly he's not in a hovering pram anymore uh he can't go around with jetpacks as everyone else does he is a now a very grounded character it has to be and so seeing din immediately say you know that's how it has to be jump ahead as they slowly push into more imperial looking areas we see from the cave we see them start retracing the steps we just saw off gideon go through and they get trapped in blast doors and moff gideon comes down in his new Darth Maul armor. I think it's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, and I, man, I wish Hunter was here because I know um, him and I were talking about it. Uh, but that was a very interesting choice. And again, that's another kind of sus thing about the armor and um, having the horns on his on her helmet as Moff Gideon does. How funny would it be if somehow like the very last shot of the of of this episode was like Darth Maul just walks up and we're like, wait, what? And then boom. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Oh, no, no, no way. But yeah. Absolutely no way. In my <laughs> absolutely no way. But I mean, we see we get we also start getting answers of the Imperials why they're cloning. Or why Moff Gideon is, even though earlier he said my interest isn't in cloning. We see Moff Gideon is very interested in personal preservation and personal power and that comes from learning about the jedi learning about the cloners and learning about the mandalorians and turning it into his own personal weapon to use yeah and the capture of din where grogu watches i Just thought let grogu get captured yeah i thought they were gonna take off his helmet i really thought they were gonna take off Agreed. his helmet right there that's something I was waiting for. So I love Moff Gideon's armor and I can already, you know, I guarantee you someone is already working on it right oh, now yeah. as we speak. I mean, someone the is one, in their garage. There's that one blueprint who did both season one and season two CRLs who looks very similar to Giancarlo, who's probably yep. building it 
and will not he's stop. He's got knee darts too. Yeah. Yep. He is the knee darts. He is the Beskar heart with the kind of white tape line from Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Yeah. He was also probably excited to finally get to like you know have a helmet because I know that's something that he wanted as well. So I'm glad that you know he's able to live his dream and have a helmet now. Giancarlo also keeping his cape and keeping it not like tossing it to the side, yeah. Else, but still having a very vertical flowing cape with the (laughs) jetpack. So funny. His uh, uh, his chest plate is also um. Mandalorian as well. Yep, yeah, it has the Boba Fett two bar lights, mm-hmm. uh, which is the first time we've seen lights in a Mandalorian chest plate in a long time. Um, but yeah, so Din gets captured. We see Moff Gideon say, "Get the fleet ready." Uh, Tie fighters in their new kind of hanging like stalactites, stalagmites. Can't remember the difference. But we see them hanging and get ready to go out. We see bombers prepare to go out. And they're going out to the fleet, and Moff Gideon thanks them for bringing them all so close. Yet again, Moff Gideon shows his methodical prowess in getting people to do what he wants, almost always. And I really like this villain. I think this villain works very well for this story and continues to do so in being a smart, imperial villain. We also don't know what planet he's from because I just looked it up on Wikipedia. So maybe he was a Mandalorian and he kind of like lost his way and then he, you know, joined the Empire and then he he didn't, you know, I could just maybe because there has to be a connection Um, there. There has to be some type of connection uh, between him and the Mandalorian people. I don't think it, it was just random where he's like, you know what? I want to take over Mandalore. I think there is some type of deep connection between him and the Mandalorian people and the planet itself. And I think they did something to him and we'll find out later on, but I think there's a deeper connection than just, he just wants to take down the Mandalorian people. Is it not a red visor? Uh, whoever commented that, sorry, I missed your name. I apologize. Yes. Mob rules. I could have sworn it was. Yeah, no, it's a red visor. If you look at the shots of him walking forward, it's a slight tint, but it's a shiny black helmet with red on the upper cheek wells and then a red tinted visor. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yeah. Very, very slight. You you have to like pause it, but yeah. You see yeah. it? Nope. Hey, colored visors. Those are fun. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's a very interesting, Colin. I, I definitely got when he was talking, like, we got to get stuff from the cloners, from the Jedi, and yes, even the Mandalorian. Like, he's very talking down on the Mandalorian, saying your plan's yeah. only good for resources. He obviously has a very big predisposition against this people. Yeah, I'm wondering if you're right. I'm wondering if there's something else we can't, we don't see that's uh, why he's so against these people. Oh. Hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And uh, right as they're starting to go, he's like, give me the Darksaber. Give me what's mine. Hand it over, even though he was the person just last season that was like, hey, you can't just give it to her. Um, He wants it back. And with a cry of this is the way the Mandalorians make their escape. Bo goes to the back, cuts out a hole, and Paz is... Very Qui-Gon-esque. 
Yep, very, very Qui-Gon. Um, which I was wondering why she didn't cut it out then so they could go forward. Um, right, right. We see Paz As Vizla did everyone, I think. His final stand. Has his final stand, melting his blaster with his final words of this is the way. Uh, staying behind as everyone else escapes. Melting his blaster, killing every single Mandalorian Super Commander that they can throw at him. Either the only thing that I, I was thinking about during the scene was I just bought his action figure like on the show floor. <laughs> I, I, oh. I was like, I was like, are you kidding me again? Come on, man. Dude, I like, was thinking, fly up, go up. You've killed them, go up, <laughs> leave. Uh, uh, and then we get something that was leaked a long time ago. Uh, yeah. but but we finally get like the Praetorian guards, yep. which we first see in the Last Jedi, and these aren't the exact you know look of them, but they do have oh. a Mandalorian look off of concept art where they have the kind of Mandalorian T visor, but with the yeah. extra vertical bar, very yep. armor, yes, inspired. It's just very similar to the armor visor, having them much more geometric top with a bar sticking down much farther than other female Mandalorian designs. There's a connection there, but these are the early stages of what we see in The Last Jedi. Yep. Um, oh, yo. Which that would be a really cool tie-in. A very cool tie-in in, into the sequels. If Now if we go and watch the sequels and be like, man, those are Mandalorians, or in some way. What if the armor, with all the Beskar that she collected at the end of Season 1, used that Beskar to trade with the Imperials, and that's how they got a lot of their Beskar. Now, the Beskar may be coming from the Mandalorian planet. They are, you know, there. But just wondering if that might be a connection. I like where you're thinking. Yeah. Hmm. Praetorian guards with their awesome weapons uh, just have a group powwow on Paz Vizsla. <laughs> and uh. we get a final shot of him laying down on the ground very cool to me you know we had that final yeah. shot in episode seven yeah. of season one of quill's uh deceased body smoking on the ground and then we got that return with Paz. we actually also got something very similar in the in the book of boba fett to the second to last episode because that happened to Cobb vanth as well yep because if he gets shot by cad bane yeah so a very common thing in the Mandalorian style of TV shows is the, you know, precursor to the season finale yeah. is a character lying dead, smoking on the ground. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's the end uh, directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who's done an amazing job with, I, let me think, I don't want to say this without like backing it up, but in recent memory, all of his episodes, I have very much enjoyed. He yeah. is also doing the very last episode of the season as well. Okay. Um, and I believe he's also going to have some involvement in Ahsoka. He's going to be a director. He's, he's yep. a producer. Um, he's so also directing, the, right? Yep. So he directed Chapter 2, The Child, in Season 1. He directed the Prisoner episode in Season 1. He directed The Believer, uh, The Apostate. And then he also directed a lot of episodes this season. Oh, no, he did. He executive produced. This is his first directing of this season. Um, but all of his other ones have been absolute bangers. Um, oh, wait. No. 
I'm so wrong. He directed the first episode of this season. Yeah. The Apostate. One, seven, and eight. Yeah. Yep. Which is pretty, pretty good. But I absolutely loved his The Child, The Prisoner, The Believer. Loved those episodes. So yeah. seeing him come back with such fervor was very nice. But yeah, so I mean this episode on a whole, what do you guys rate it? I loved it. I loved it. I'm giving it a solid eight. Um, I can't wait until the next one. I can't wait until the final episode because it's that one's going to be a lot of mixed emotions because after that we have the story of Ahsoka and that's not really going to involve Mando. And we also don't know what's going to happen to Din Djarin. We don't know what's going to be the involvement of Moff Gideon after this. Like we, we, we really don't know. We really don't know anything. And I think that's something I'm super excited about. But yeah. I want to say I want to give it a rating about an 8.9. Oh, okay. Oh, really, wow. Really that's good. high. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's high but praise, the, David. Yeah, very high praise. Yeah, just just the cinematic quality was great. The, the tie back to puppetry, CGI, the moodiness that we got in the beginning, very Blade Runner-esque. Seeing all those Mandalorians in battle flying away from that, that skiff, seeing the huge creature, it was all kind of quintessential Star Wars for me. And more more story, plot movement, more character development, seeing Din get taken away, very Empire Strikes Back. Um, yeah. Seeing the new mech suit introduced to Gro- for Grogu to, to use here on out. Um, I think that's going to play a huge part next episode. Um, and being back on Mandalore, I mean, man, it, it, it ties together every major phase of Star Wars, it feels like. And even getting sequel trilogy stuff with the Praetorian Guard. I mean, we hit like every every spot in Star Wars we could possibly hit, really. Yeah. So uh, that's why I give it a high rating. Yeah. To me, this episode is... Standing alone, I said this episode's like 7.58. I think in the course of the entire season, however, it does stand much lower just because I feel as a season, this season, The Mandalorian hasn't stood that well on its own two feet. Um, But rating-wise, everywhere, this episode seems to be doing very well. On IMDb, it is the first nine-point-blank episode this season Mm. of The Mandalorian, which uh, is... Great to see again. I mean, season two had one, two, three, uh, three or four nine point something episodes. Everything was in the eights to the nines, with only one being a high seven. And yeah. this one's been a lot of sevens. Uh, last week was a six point four uh, consensus rating. So, seeing the ratings come up on this one, I'm hoping they're able to keep that momentum into next week. Yeah, Moff Gideon's reintroduction. Yeah, Thrawn no. stuff, uh, stuff from the EU. Um, yep, the cloning it, it, vats. Right, it hit all quadrants, man. <laughs> they touched yeah. on everything. It, it felt much more classic Mandalorian with Moff Gideon, yeah. with yeah. the Return of Mandalore, with you know Din building and grief and everything. It felt very. It's weird seeing the word classic because this show has only been airing for a few years, but it did feel. It felt like a return to form. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, man. 
And if this, I mean, honestly, I think nothing hypes me up more on a Star Wars level than having all those announcements, everything, and then being like, here's a new episode of The Mandalorian. And then (laughs) not only that, but you've got the season finale next week. And then the week after that, you've got the, you have the release of Jedi Survivor, and then you have May 4th. And on May 4th, you got Visions Volume 2. You have the, um, the Young Jedi Adventures. And then in August, you have uh, Ahsoka, and then the following, Skeleton Crew, Acolyte. Andor Season 2. Andor Season 2. Oh, so stoked for. There's so much. Yeah. Uh, man, so much. So much to look forward to. And this is like the perfect time to be a Star Wars yeah. fan. I can't even Wars imagine. FPS game. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that, that may be. That that might come out next year. They they really didn't talk about any games at a um no at it was celebration. just the Cameron and, Monaghan uh interview about Survivor, but there wasn't the EA panel. There wasn't nope, nothing, nothing at all. And that's something that that the other Josh and I were hoping that you know they would do something big, but they just did that small thing with and that wasn't even on the schedule because I looked and we didn't see anything on the schedule like revolving around that like of, of him coming to the live stage so i think that was random and i yeah so so i just did a quick search on that fps game for any recent news apparently according to a linkedin job post uh the fps game is inspired by the old classics like star wars dark forces star wars jedi knight dark forces 2 uh and it will be utilizing unreal engine 5 Ooh. So, of course, I'm very hoping for Republic Commando 2 or Republic Commando (laughs) Review or something Republic Commando. So, as I'm I'm just letting you know from the Bad Bats trailer, I did see Republic Commandos, but I thought you were like, you know, looking specifically for. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, we saw Republic Commandos in the season two trailer and how much we actually see of them. Right. So, I was like, I. All I saw was Scorch, and yep. again, I was like, "Oh, okay." If Thank we end you. up getting Delta Squad, I'll be happy for if there's for a green, all y'all. If there's a green commando, I hope they treat them well. Yeah, treat them well. But <laughs> out of everything, Star Wars Celebration, what was your guys' favorite thing that they dropped? Either favorite trailer or thing you're most excited for. Okay, this is something that that no one's really talking about, but I think I was the only person that was really excited in the room because I looked around and David and Josh were like, oh, okay. But it was the freaking trailer for Indiana Jones 5. And then they, <laughs> they showed us like a full scene. And I was like, let's go. And I looked at David and then he was just like, oh. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, Dude, come on, man. Like where's the hype i i i was so pumped i was also wearing my indiana jones hat that day too so i was like nice nice but yeah no that 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 was really cool i think i think my favorite moment out of everything um from the lucasfilm panel was probably the stuff for acolyte that that got me really really excited of just seeing all the lightsabers and of of yes and i'm also happy for Jonas. he's so deserves so incredibly happy for Jonas. yeah to like just keep being part of star wars and the fact that like you know he's playing something familiar but different at the same time and the whole cast was so excited yeah uh having cast a character you can call his go back to jonas like 
He's a great Chewbacca. Loved him in Solo. Loved the assurance of Han and Chewbacca with Jonas and Alden. But having a Wookiee where Jonas can really say, that's my Wookiee. Yes. That's my character. And he's a Jedi Master. Yeah. Jedi Wookiee? Like, that's just good for him. Although, I don't think any Wookiee lightsaber can ever be topped. I don't think any lightsaber can be topped by Ben Gunji's lightsaber. (laughs) I also think something that's great is that we're also getting uh, um, live action High Republic. Like, that's huge. Because not everyone reads the books. Not everyone reads the comics. But I think once the show comes out, then people are going to like, okay, wait. So-and-so was in the books, and they're in the show. I should probably go backtrack and and check out the books. And I think that's what's going to happen. But I've been waiting for this. Um, because you know, as much as I love reading, I don't always have the patience to do that. So it's going to be awesome to see that story brought to life on, on the screen and jumping into an era that we've never, you know, really talked about before in live action is great. And we're also kind of getting a sneak peek of that in, um, Jedi survivor, because it looks like one of the main antagonists of, of the game is a high Republic Jedi that was, you know, that was kind of kept away from the galaxy for a very long time. So, so that, that character story will be told and that's going to have a tie in into the high Republic. But I think the acolyte looks great. I'm excited for skeleton crew, um, which is the second most expensive budget they've ever used for a TV show which is huge. And from the trailer that we got, I can see why I can definitely see why uh, that is going to have like the ET Goonies vibe. And, and, and I think, I, I think David knows this, but that is the, that's the description that I was hoping that they would officially say. And Kathleen Kennedy said that. And that made me so happy because we really haven't had a Star Wars project like that. So I'm super, super excited to have that vibe that, it's like I'm putting in an old copy of a VHS and just putting in the VCR and then just waking up on Saturday morning. Like that's the type of show that I want for Star Wars. And we're getting that with this. So that's awesome. And then we also got a uh, a uh, kid version of of uh, of the Max of the Max of the Max Rebo species. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, I love the Orthlands. They're amazing. I'm so glad that they're getting more representation. So. Uh huh. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also like to point out that in the trailer, he, uh, the, uh, the Orthlin had all four limbs. He had two legs and two arms. So yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah yeah david what about you what was the favorite takeaway uh getting into that lucasfilm showcase panel i mean that is what celebration is to me getting into those panels getting all that breaking news all the footage it seems like it's uh, there's never going to be a time where they don't bring footage um it's it's kind of funny when you watch any big panel for anything, any franchise. Yeah, they always end it with "We brought something for you," and just about everyone that hit the stage said, "We brought a little thing for you." 
And of course, it's it was always a trailer, which was fantastic. They um, weren't streaming that live, right? Like, no, okay. no one saw it, man. Just it was yeah. just us, Colin. Oh, man, which yeah. we are uh, against as the Star Wars stuff podcast. We think that the general public should be able to get these things. Maybe just delay it, like minutes or hours or maybe i um, understand the whole trailer thing of not showing like the public the trailer but showing them the actual panel that's different i think yeah. is like actually showing the public them talking about it is fine but if you would show everyone what people were getting at the actual panel including the trailers and everything that would kind of take the purpose of way of going to celebration people wouldn't have to pay yeah. you know a bunch of money to go just to you know go to a panel i think so, officially releasing stills maybe like yeah having, having a press release like this is the show and it has like one promo image but you still had the you know all you guys have to see the trailer and that's never taken away from you uh there also were some panels cool. where they actually did do the live stream like they did it for the bad batch they they did not show the trailer to the public, but they showed the actual like panel as it was live streaming, right? Because okay, I cool. think so. Yeah, I was doing homework at the time, so I was able yeah. to watch. Because because I was talking with our friend Mike, um, all Star Wars and and he said that they were doing live stream for that, so like cool. And then they also did that for Visions, I think, as well. But then they just like didn't like show like the actual like episode and stuff. But yeah, no, um. Yeah, man. Star Wars. A lot of yeah, Star they, Wars. They, they should be airing all this stuff to the to the public. I mean, even if they just have like a little delay. Um, and if not even that, just show it to everyone at Celebration. Everyone paid money for the badges. Yeah. Traveled long distances in some cases. I mean, it's, it's really kind of a disconnect with the fans in that way. And Star Wars does such a great... Has a very great relationship, I think, with the fans, with our podcast. Even we use their name on our on our podcast, and they've never told us anything about that. We've yeah. used copyrighted music. We've we've had our logo on shirts that we've given away, sold um, all of our swag. I mean, it's yeah. you can't say that for a lot of other franchises. Like you look at Star Trek. I mean, that's and very very contentious. Nintendo, with you'd be shot down yeah yeah so no. i mean it, that's just something they have to fix it looks like we might be in for a really good course correction uh with stuff that they're probably not doing the best they can do like with releasing a movie every year but i think we really think that should be a thing it should be probably christmas time um but we'll see yeah yeah uh i think that's everything josh do you have any final words? Uh, Republic Commando Vodian should be uh, getting a... It has a rescore from the original composer. It happened okay, man. like three okay. years ago. <laughs> That's got to come back somehow. Yeah. All I'm saying. Probably will. It probably will. Oh. Whoa, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Tornowee's uh, here. Then <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah with that that is our breakdown thank you so much josh for uh leading this podcast and uh you have a lot of great insight into all these episodes and uh 
Thanks to Colin as well. He just got off the plane from London. And I've had a full night of sleep, which was great. Haven't had one of those in a long time. Guess who's going to wake up at 5 a.m.? Let's go, bro. Let's go. Dude, sounds like a personal problem. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong, man. You're not wrong. And thanks Uh, for everyone who commented. Uh, Derpy, Maka, Mob Rules. Uh, Thank you for all your love and support. A lot of those people are patrons. So till next time, I'm about to upload a boatload of episodes uh, that we recorded at uh, Star Wars Celebration London. And um, I'll probably do some other recordings for Patreon as well, kind of detailing the trip, all the outside factors and situations outside of celebrations. So that should be a lot of fun. And uh, if you want to join our Patreon, you can. You can find us on Patreon at, trying to remember here, trying to find the tag. Star Wars Stuff Podcast 287. And of course, Instagram. We all know Colin runs that. Uh, Star Wars Stuff Podcast. We're on Twitter as well at Stuff Pod. Uh, of course, Facebook page, Facebook group. Go to Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Write a review. You can go to Spotify and uh, rate us there as well. And also, uh, Star Wars Stuff, uh, actually, StuffPodcastNetwork.com. You find us there. Also on Twitch, you can find us on Twitch Gaming Star at Star Wars Game. Stuff Gaming. We will and... be playing Jedi Survivor nonstop until we beat it. So just, <laughs> just kind of tune out, like just go and tune in for the entire day, and we'll probably be halfway through the game. Hey, I'll cause... join you on the uh, 29th for a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. And if That's... you're watching us on YouTube, Comment, like, subscribe, and hit that notified button. So we are trying to get, I know we're not, we don't have the biggest YouTube presence. It's mostly audio that we get all of our kind of listeners from. But that's going to change. That's going to change because uh, happy, happy uh, news is that Hunter Smoke is officially joining our team. And we are going to be doing a lot more on YouTube. Congratulations to Hunter. Yes. So stay tuned for that. Um, We have a lot in the works, but we're we're very excited about that. So, yeah, catch us there as well. So for Josh, Colin, my name's David. May the force be with you. Always. Max Rebo lives. Delta Squad doesn't exist.